I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show. It's Derby weekend, so they've put me in charge of hosting because they know, as most of you know, I'm the type of sicko who loves a Derby. Joining me today to look backwards before we look forwards, I've got the two men that will be my phone a brief should I ever get arrested, Stefan and Lloyd. Afternoon, Lloyd. Afternoon. Will you be my phone a brief? I don't know whether to feel complimented by that or not. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining in Ibiza, um, so so that's it nice. Is in London, actually. Excellent. I'll be in London in a couple of weeks. I'll send you the dates. Um, and yeah, it's the derby. I'm looking forward to it. So you know, that's it's always United in crisis, a manager under pressure, and a derby. It's just like the the perfect concoction for the beginning of my weekend. Now, of course, it can all go tits up at full time, but for the moment, it's definitely exciting. Afternoon, Stefan. Hi. How you doing? Really good. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Quite weak. <laughs> I was going to say, quite weak? <laughs> yeah, well, Very quiet. Pretty quiet. Yeah, pretty quiet. nothing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty nothing quiet. Nothing to report. Nothing, nothing to report. To report. So you've not been on TalkSport this week. That's probably why it's been quiet. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, no, no, no sort of podcasts or things like that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you. I'm I'm not going to let you go like that easily. So, firstly, if you haven't already listened, Stefan did a podcast. Uh, what is it called? Remind me. The unofficial partner. Unofficial partner. Yeah. The unofficial partner podcast. Um, Stefan was on there with the host and a gentleman by the name of Nick Harris. And the three of them had a discussion around, in fact, you know what, why am I plugging it? Stefan, could you please plug the podcast? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, so unofficial partner, I'd plug generally because it's a, if you're interested in sports business, it's a, a very good, um, weekly podcast that's really targeting, uh, the sort of more sports professional end. So it's no, it won't. It, it, there's no football analysis, uh, which suits me down to the ground, as you know. Um, and uh, so I went on there to talk. Uh, well, we were meant to be talking about uh, Nick Harris's uh, scoop that uh, City are in the process of renegotiating its Etihad um, deal uh, for an, uh, an unknown extension. Um, and he wrote a piece, uh, which actually is, uh, in fairness to him, is not is not is not a bad piece. Uh, looking at how you might value uh, an all-encompassing Etihad deal for Manchester City, twenty twenty four and onwards. Uh, so as you can tell, quite an interesting premise. Uh, and yeah, and the the the, uh, the podcast itself talked about that and one or two other things. Well, well, sorry, and 115 other things. <laughs> um, yeah, and obviously, m- most people will have seen subsequently, Nick had a little bit of a meltdown. Um, and can I say he libeled you? Well, he's deleted it. Um, well, he definitely, yeah, I, well, I, w- I would say well, libel is a bit, um, is a bit subjective. Uh, he certainly lied about me. So, okay. I mean, definitively lied about me, including... Uh, some serious matters alleging involvement uh, in convic- uh, in a company convicted of corruption, 
so I mean, completely false. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, it's nice to be. Yeah, so he is officially a liar. Mm. It's a shame that I mean, you you you've generally had a pretty decent relationship with Nick. Would be fair for me to characterize well, professional, it that way. Uh, yeah, professional, professional. Maybe that's what I mean. I mean, uh, he he's the actually the only person that's ever paid me for a Manchester City opinion. Um, so that that's that's quite uh, that's quite a uh, thing on him uh, on his head because uh, uh, you know there's a, the, I still think there's a piece that stands the the test of time in, in the Mail on Sunday. Um, uh, but it doesn't excuse, uh, his behavior in my opinion uh, over the last few days. Mm. Uh, so I think there's, I think there's probably a fair few, flu- few blues who have, uh, felt the brunt of, uh, of Nick. Yeah, there's no excuse for lying. I mean, I don't, I don't mind the, the, the debate. I mean, the debate is one thing, but I mean, so. As I say, I mean, those things that he wrote and now deleted are just simply not true. Mm. And so uh, it's not acceptable. It's really as simple as that. Okay. You know, they, are, they are just not true. Well, he's burnt that bridge. And in my humble opinion, can I swear? No, I shouldn't swear. It's the Friday show and it's way too early in the show. But So we'll just move on from, from that man. Lloyd, you with me? I'm here. I'm just spectating like I have been this week. <laughs> Robinekin. Um so we're gonna begin by looking backwards in part one of this podcast. Mm. Um City beat Luton six two on Tuesday. There's a lot of conversation in the build up to the game about Haaland's form, and then he scored five goals. So is the blip over? I wouldn't say it's over, but I think it feels like he's turned a corner. Um the Haaland conversation is such a odd conversation. I think when I've this week spoken to a few like non-City fans who just aren't really aware of kind of how he's been going this season. So, you know, he's still the top scorer in the Premier League, isn't he? He's, I think he's the top scorer in the top league across all competitions. But, you know, we know as City fans, you know, particularly the last few games since his comeback, um, I'd say excluding the Everton game, you know, he's left a lot of goals out there, I think is, is probably fair to say. Whereas on Tuesday night, it really felt like it clicked. I don't think it's any coincidence that KDB was back in the team and was playing to a really high level. Um, and I think it will give him, hopefully, the boost that he needs. But I wouldn't say we can say the blip's over because, to be honest and to be quite frank, regarding Haaland you know his most of this season I'd say he's been pretty pretty off it in front of goal but I do think the interesting thing that I don't think has been spoken enough about is I think that general play since he's come back from injury has been really good better than probably at any time during uh, the, the not you know 18 months that he's been at City it's just really been the finishing that's been lacking but hopefully a night like Tuesday will give him that confidence because he has looked a little bit frustrated with himself at times, hasn't he? You know, both during the game and after games like Chelsea being the main example. Mm. I think you've got to cut him a little bit bit of slack in terms of missing two months through injury. I think, you know, ha- however good you are, whoever you are, missing that length of time, it's going to take you a minute to, 
to get your rhythm back. And that's not to say that he was, wasn't missing chances before he got injured, but I'd, personally, I think a bit too much was made when he first came back um, of the, the missed chances because you, you always knew he eventually would revert to mean. And if he did, then that would just end up being a goal a game. Um, Stefan, did the general level of the performance against Luton tell you anything about where the team are at right now? No, nothing at all. Is that because of the opposition? Well, yeah, the opposition plus a goal after three minutes um, and seemingly an opposition that somehow uh, seemed unable to stop the flow of the ball to Haaland. So, no, I think once we scored the early goal and actually got another one quite quickly, uh, I don't think this was a game that tells you anything about where we're at. I think the game was basically finished uh, very, very quickly, uh, which would made it quite enjoyable, but I don't think it was an indicator of anything about where we are uh, in the season. Uh, so, podcast over. <laughs> well, you can go. Sorry. Certainly, you're Sorry, dismissed, you sir. Um, Sorry, that's... I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you disagree? Uh, I think there was no. an interesting pattern from the game. I, I generally agree, but I think the skipping out the midfield, going long, doing the De Bruyne Haaland link up that was so prominent against in the two games against Arsenal last year. I think I thought that was quite interesting. It's not something we've seen that much this season. Definitely worked as well when when a team goes man to man like Luton did, which is what actually often happens in some of the bigger games. Hmm. I mean. I- I do. I take your. I take your point about about the direct route when teams go man to man, but I do think it's a bit of a shame that that it, I, I would be disappointed if that's what we default to every time somebody presses high and goes man to man, because that suggests to me that they've not got the confidence in the players on the ball to play through a press. Um, I, I think Liverpool are pretty much the only team in the world whose press we should be afraid of. I don't think anybody else presses with enough intensity to say that the quality of technical players that we've got can't play through them. That's not to say that there isn't some benefit in going direct to Haaland. If you can isolate Haaland and KDB and you've got the delivery of of Edison or Ortega for that matter. Um, But yeah, in, in general, I think I'd be a bit disappointed if the default setting every time somebody pressed high or went man to man was, all right, we're just going to hoof it. Um, I'm not sure that that I'd like that, but maybe that's uh, maybe that becomes a very subjective discussion about the aesthetics of the game. Um, Lloyd, in t- so in terms of the general performance, other than other than that aspect of it, you didn't really take anything away from it in terms of what's to come in the next few weeks. I think my big takeaway was was just around the the two players that we've discussed. You know, KDB looked. I don't know whether you say well rested or fresh, but you know he looked he looked sharp, which you know given that he's missed a few games is 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 key. And Haaland took his chances, which again hasn't happened. But I think outside of that, it's hard to draw you know kind of wide ranging conclusions from that game. I, th- I think the direct thing's the only main thing I would I would have picked out. Okay, Stefan, I'm going to take you back a little bit further because um, I, I haven't actually had a conversation about the Bournemouth game, uh, because I was away. Um, there was there, there was a pretty split opinion, I think, after the Bournemouth game about the quality of City's performance. 
Um, I certainly fell on the side of the fence that could be described as a little happy and a little clappy because I felt the first half was pretty much more than enough to win it. And I don't think, I think for all that, for me anyway, for for all that was made of the so-called chances that Bournemouth created, I don't think they created anything. I, I think they had one header at the end that you would consider to be a clear-cut chance. And outside of that, it was lots of territory without actually any penetration that would lead to a goal scoring chance um so how did you feel about that performance did you feel that we lost control do you feel that we were bad and born with a really good second half or where did you land on that i, I did the review and i know I, I, I can barely remember what i actually said um it's amazing what a six two win midweek does to any negative feelings um Look, I didn't think we were good in the second half uh, mm. at all. Um, and I don't think we've been particularly brilliant in quite a few of the games recently. But I think it's 6th of December since we last lost the game. Yes. Right, which is just, you know, okay, we've had a very, very favourable uh, set of fixtures. But it's a bloody long run. Mm. And, uh, you know, it puts us in a really good position as we come into, you know, the next three or four games that we all know about. And um, I can't get too excited about not winning a game very, very easily. Um, although, I, I, likewise, I can't, I can't say that I agreed with you that we were, you know, decent in that second half. I thought there was quite a big drop off for whatever reason. Uh, Bournemouth, um, contrary to, I am just repeating what I did say on the on the review show, but contrary to um perception uh, have actually not been in good form um if you take out the little patch that they had after we beat them 6-1 where they won 6 out of 7 they've only won one other game all season and in the last 7 including the city game have three draws and four defeats so they're not in good form um although the highlights reel makes them look half decent but in fairness i guess the, their performance in the second half is quite consistent with that because it there was quite a lot to sort of optically think was impressive but actually as you suggest they didn't really create amazing chances and weren't really that close to um to getting the points that they may have deserved in their overall play i mean clearly alison rudd decided to write a report in the sunday times which had Liverpool as the second word and said that they deserved at least a point. Who, Bournemouth? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you're listening to Alison Rudd, that's your business. Well, so. I'm not listening. She, yeah. she did the match report. <laughs> yeah. Liverpool was the second word in the match report. I mean, come on, like anything with her name next to it, why would you bother with it? That would just, you know what's going to come. Um, Lloyd, do you, do you think we got away with it in short against Bournemouth? I no, I don't actually. I, I kind of subscribe to what Stefan said. So it was another one of those for me where I was busy during the game. So I kind of saw a lot of the reaction. Couldn't then watch it till the following day, and then watched it in full. And you know, it is easier w without with knowing what the score is going to be when you're watching a game. But I'd say bar the Tavernier chance at the back post where he kind of couldn't get his feet sorted and it ended up being quite a timid shot I don't really think they created a, a, a really big chance and whilst 
we kind of ceded control a bit in the second half and it got a bit harem scarum. And I do think Bournemouth played really well in that second half. I still think we were relatively comfortable and I thought the first half performance was, was really encouraging and something that we've not seen in recent weeks. Um, you know, I think it's no, no coincidence, for example, that Alvarez wasn't playing and we had a lot more fluidity in the middle of the park there. So, no, I, I think City were, were just about good enough for the three points. I, I think I don't think you know Bournemouth did enough to to get a point. No, and I think you know I think more than double the XG that Bournemouth had. I think ultimately, I think if you swap the halves, if Bournemouth do what they did in the second half in the first half, and City do what they did in the first half in the second half, I don't even think there's a conversation about the quality of the performance. I think everybody just goes, "Yeah, all right, City were miles better than Bournemouth." Um, but I think because of because of the way that that the first half went and then the second half went there was that feeling of of a loss of control um without Bournemouth necessarily being as penetrative as as we felt that they were at the time um right the i think the other big negative to come the other big negative i don't think there were any negatives in beating Bournemouth and Luton so the negative to come from Bournemouth and Luton is the Grealish injury uh Lloyd Pep's just on his press conference. Sounds like he's going to be out for a minimum of three weeks. Um, yeah, like, how are you feeling? Obviously, there's an element of luck involved. Is there anything else going on here? Well, I don't, don't think he's had the best year off the pitch. But, you know, Stefan was uh, on the subject of libel at the, at the beginning of the show, so I, I won't say too much, but I think... Jack hasn't looked after himself maybe as well as he should have this year, and I think that's probably a factor. I think he knows that. But in terms of where it leaves us, well, we're just back to the small squad discussion, which is I think if you know if 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 we've only got Grealish out over this period, then I think we'll be we'll be fine. But if you know a couple of other players were to get injured, say Bernardo got an injury, um, or you know Alvarez or Foden or you know just two other players got injured then I think suddenly we'd look we'd look super light again and the bench would look almost empty so naturally it's really disappointing because Grealish you know I think he would have started a lot of the games in March I think that's that's the most important thing so we've got you know Villa at home we've got United at the weekend we've got Anfield obviously away we've got Arsenal at the end of of um, March at home you know that therefore really tough games against top six teams excluding United um, where you know the other team is going to cause you a lot of problems and Grealish is really useful in those kind of situations I think some of the reaction has been over the top to suggest that you know without Grealish you know City is somehow massively hamstrung I think as long as all the other guys or most of the other guys are fit we'll, we'll be fine we've got enough kind of tools it's just that I think the context is that yeah, small squad means a couple more injuries. I, I think then then we are in big trouble. Mm. I heard I heard somewhere else this week somebody saying that if Grealish is out for for much longer, then City won't win the league, which surprised me. I think. Oh, I'm, come on, I'm, who is that? I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, I, like, let's get things straight, right? The guy has barely had a good game all season. He's barely played, to be honest. I mean, you know, he is not. Uh, I, I understand that people might think that in certain situations uh, he's a useful player to have. I also accept 
that he played well in some of the key games last season. But to make so start making comments like that are just completely ridiculous. He's he's not in the top, probably not in the top eight to ten players in terms of most important. Mm. I also and, just and, sorry, and go on. you're not going to go through a season anyway with no relatively key players being injured. I mean, it's just not realistic. So mm. if he, right now, if we can stay with uh, him and uh, Guardiola and players like this as being our worst injury problems, I'm, I'm with that all day long because we all know who the absolutely key players are in terms of, whether, in terms of impacting our ability to win the major trophies. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I also, I just, I... I I don't think that coming off the back of the type of season that he's had, I don't even agree with Lloyd, what Lloyd said earlier about the fact that he would have played all of those games in March. I just, I don't think a player can go from zero. I say to, all, but yeah. But yeah, but I, I, I'm, apologies. I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. I, I thought that's what you said. I think I've kind of always viewed it as, you know, I looked at Anfield away and go, well, look, if, Grealish is fit and he's firing and and he's had, you know, a couple of decent games in the build-up to that. I can see him starting Anfield away for a very specific tactical reason. But actually, outside of that, as much as a lot of the things that people say, well, he's an asset because he can do this and he's an asset because he can do that, I think a lot of those qualities are qualities that, you you know, you 90% of the games that you're going into you're going to be in control of, you're going to have 80%, eight, you're going to have 60, 65% of the possession. You're going to have three times the amount of territory and ball and shots as the opposition. So I'm not necessarily convinced that within a context like that, he'd be key. I definitely think Champions League away games and field away where maybe you're going into the game going, actually, if I leave this game with a point, I'm okay. Um, I think the maybe manager's that, pissed off with him though as well. I mean, you know, and if you look at his, do you see it again, like that? I've I've seen a few people. No, he's I've definitely few, pissed off with him. I, mm. I don't know the extent of it, but I mean, it, uh, come on, you, you must accept that he's not happy with him. No, I, I mean, I do. I think, I think whenever whenever Guardiola talks about the attitude of a player, I just don't think that's a good thing. I think that you know, if I think about attitude, the players that I think about immediately in terms of Guardiola and press conferences are Laporte and Sterling, right? And those are two players who were absolutely notorious for being proper Marty if they weren't starting every game. And so when Pep came out and said, well, his attitude's been better in training the last few days, for me, that was like, oh, I'm, I don't think that's good. So yeah, sorry. There's I, a I clear inference. I mean, mm. you know, and then, and then laid on top of that, I mean, the games he has played have been some of our, well, he only played 10 minutes at Wolves that where we lost. He was on the bench against Arsenal where we lost. Um, he played 31 against Chelsea 4-4. He wasn't in the squad, the draw against Liverpool. He played 38 minutes against Spurs. I mean, look, when you look at his Premier League season, he's played 700 minutes. Yeah, that's just... right. I mean, let's how, how there's no way that we can argue that the guy this season has been one of our important or is an important player for this season. Mm. He plays 700 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Lloyd, just to kind of widen it out a little bit. 
So obviously Grealish has some qualities that we absolutely will miss, certainly in bigger games or more difficult away games. Um, is there any part of you that thinks that Mateus Nunes could be used as a defensive winger in the way that Jack is? Mm, again, I think there's a, been a bit of over-analysis on this, but I, I think it's slightly symptomatic of like the 24-hour news media that is, you know, we've got a draw. You have to draw 10 conclusions from every game and, you know, set them out. Um, I think, yes, in certain games, Nunes might be able to play a role where there's teams that are going to give us a bit more space and they're going to actually come and have a go, a bit like Bournemouth. Yes, I could see in certain away games, Nunes could play that role. But I think in most of the games against any of the big teams, Pep's going to default for his favourite players. So he's he's gonna he's gonna play Foden on the wing, uh, on the left wing ahead of Nunes. You know, I think he, I think he might even play Oscar Bob on the left wing. To be honest, ahead of ahead of Nunes in those kind of games, I think it's more your Bournemouths away. You know, maybe maybe against Bright, Brighton, maybe maybe Nunes would play a game like that. But I don't think against against Villa, who are really combative in midfield, and we know what Nunes is like in a championship. Anfield. I don't think at Anfield. I don't think against. United at the weekend. I don't think against Arsenal you're going to see Nunes in those games. I just look at his minutes this season. I think that tells you all you need to know. Mm. I think you'll barely see him between now and the end of the season. Okay, okay. Um, I'm much harder. You know, he clearly he's got some ability, but his his physicality I find completely bizarre for for a man of his size. Uh, his uh, there was there was a situation in uh, Luton where the ball had sort of drifted into the corner. And it was being launched by the fullback. I think KDB was right next to the fullback, couldn't get the block in. And Nunes was just behind him. And the ball was kind of heading for Nunes's kind of stomach area. And rather than blocking it, he shifted his body out of the way as if it was going for his head. Mm. It, it was just totally wet. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't. Uh, I don't know. I've got it in my head now. I'm, everything now is confirmation bias at this point. I've got it into my head, but he just seems so weak to me. It's funny. I haven't, I've got to be honest. That's definitely not something that has jumped out at me, but I didn't, um, I didn't catch the full 90 of, uh, of the Luton game. Um, I'm, 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 I'm surprised actually in both of that. Both of you think that he's miles away from it. I, I, I wonder whether he doesn't suddenly become more important than we than we thought he would be but then maybe i'm wrong and maybe lloyd's right he plays when it, com- when it comes to this point of the season though guardiola does not piss around with experiments and team selection once we get into march we know how he goes in time mm. and, and what famous last team. famous last words up for tomorrow isn't well it? This, this, Sunday. this 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 <laughs> i hold def- my hands up i hold my hands up if it's no starts. of course i i completely i completely agree with you i completely agree mm. Okay. Right, Lloyd, very quickly before we discuss our rivals, um, Newcastle in the FA Cup, is the treble on again? I think it's a good draw, mm. to be fair. I think there, you know, there aren't that many big teams left, are there? Which is good. But I'd have taken anyone at home, to be honest. And i yeah. probably include Liverpool in that. Obviously, that would be the hardest game. But anyone at home gives us the easiest route to the semis, I think Newcastle at home. We should we should have more more than enough. 
you know, they've been very, very up and down this season. Yeah, they are getting players back. But I watched part of their game against Blackburn the other night because it was kind of either side of the City game and yeah, Black, Blackburn almost had him, genuinely. I think Eddie Howe's getting... Uh, I I think that the that quietly the supporters or at least a corner of them are, are definitely turning on how I've 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 seen heard and read enough now from people sort of going well look we like Eddie Howe but at the same time he keeps doing x y and z and that's definitely not helping the team so mm-hmm. i mean i guess it is it is the reality of when the expectations get raised to a certain level um the inconsistency will absolutely kill you um and i think he's probably in a little bit of the ten hag boat that you know there's there's probably people above him that have got a list of fellas that they'd love to replace him with and they're kind of looking for a reason to to be able to do that and everybody i think the problem with those situations is that when 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 that begins to seep into the supporter base or worse still seep into the dressing room, I think that you toast it at that point. I just um, need to hold the nerve, I think. I mean, uh, you know, I think it's a good draw. I, we should win. Mm. Uh, but I don't think Newcastle should fire him. I mean, I, I think that would be a big mistake. I think he's been in a situation where uh, because of their desire to comply with um, PSR, they have been much more cautious than, say, Chelsea in terms of pushing the boundaries. I don't think the signings have particularly worked, one or two of them. I mean, Hall being the best example. Um, clearly, they had the exit. They had a bad draw in the Champions League. Then they had the exit in the Champions League, uh, which is going to hit them for probably 25 million quid in the second half of the season. So everything has gone against them on the financial side. Then Plus he's had Tenali. a big injury. Plus Tenali. Uh, yeah, Tenali. And Joe Linton missing, what, half the season? Mm. I think he's been really unlucky in that sort of regard. And, of course, also, it was go- there was going to be, with Champions League in that squad as well, there was going to be a natural impact of being able to carry the, 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 the pressure of Champions League plus, plus um, the expectation in the league. So I think it would be really, really uh, poor if they were to get rid of him. Easy for us to say sitting here on the outside, but uh, you know, I, th- I just think uh, it would just be very, very harsh, and I think it would be a mistake. They'll end up mm. not doing that much better with some other guy. I think they'll hold the nerve. I, I think I do think he's under pressure, but I, I think in the end um, that it feels as though they're a sane, in, sane enough organization that they'll everything that you've said they will also be able to see very clearly i think the injuries in midfield plus tenali layered on top of that getting that ban um is is probably what has killed that's what's them. done him. yeah that's that that's what's that's what's killed them um so and you know i think Obviously, um, what's his name? Lewis Miley. Him, him coming through is uh, will definitely be be a feather in 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 Eddie Howe's cap. So, yeah, I I I do think in the end they will they will hold their nerve and they will give him a little bit more time. Um, but we should beat them. I, I'm I'm certainly of the opinion that having got this far in the FA Cup, 
Um, now we've got a home draw. We should we should definitely be beating them. We should definitely have an eye on the fact that we go we go all the way in in this competition. Now, do either of you think it's uh, do you do either of you think it would benefit City's title race or Champions League uh, aspirations to lose to Newcastle? Well, it's only two games now, so what's the point? Okay. You know, it's not even two games, is it? You're talking about one extra game during the season, the semi-final, because mm. you still got to play the quarter-final whether you win or lose. Yep. And the final, I assume, is after the end of the season, but somebody might tell me that it's not. I think it is. I think it's still the week. Yeah. So, so, I mean, now it makes no difference at all. You may as well. It's one extra game. Yep. I go along with that. Excellent. All right. Well, what I wanted to do before we we're going to take a little break in a minute. And we're going to listen to a little snippet of Howard's exclusive interview with David Bernstein, which will drop next week. But there's a few bits pertaining to the derby uh, that we're going to put in the break. But before we do that, I just want to, I want to do a temperature check on how we're feeling about Liverpool and Arsenal. Lloyd, I'm, I'm going to start with you and uh, our beloved Scousers. Um, where do you find yourself? Uh, when watching Liverpool at the moment, I have to say I've been I've been so impressed in the last two games for them to get over the line in both. You know, whether it's a bit of Klopp juju or whatever, it's it's really impressive to have fielded those teams in both those games and to and to and to win. I mean, I thought I thought the three nil was, you know, did you see the starting eleven? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I hadn't heard of most of them. Southampton have been playing well this season. I know it's still a championship team, but four of those guys have got, I think they between the four of them that started, they've got less than five um, senior appearances for, for the Liverpool first 11. So you know, that is super impressive. We, we know from you know, pre-Pep what usually happens to teams when you throw in that many youngsters. So I'm kind of a bit in disbelief that they've managed to do it. Um, I feel like that look w- could run out this weekend if the, if the team looks the same against Forest, who are going to be fighting for their lives. But the word is that quite a few of the players could be back. So it sounds like McAllister should play. Nunez is probably going to be fit. Salah might be fit. So, you know, you throw those three back in and obviously the team looks pretty strong again. So, yeah, I, I, they've been confusing this season in the. I think in contrast to Arsenal, you know, they've not looked that solid at the back. Um, they've scored a lot of goals in kind of key moments. They've dragged themselves out of really tight games with late goals, but yet they're here and they're top of the league with 60 points. So part of me thinks, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall off at some point. Um, but here we are on the further march and they're still here. So from here, anything really can happen. And if they get players back, then they'll be in a good position. But Weirdly, I've kind of seen Liverpool as the main threat this season, but I think in the last couple of weeks, I've kind of switched to Arsenal. Um, so, yeah. Stefan, Arsenal? Uh, well, just before on Liverpool, I, th- I think you shouldn't forget that, uh, first of all, it's an amazing achievement. Nobody would, would deny that to win that game with the side that he had out from about, I don't know, 65 minutes maybe, uh, to win the, the final was ridiculous. Um uh, amazing, amazing achievement. Um, however, I don't think they were very good against Chelsea uh, for most of the game, which kind of got lost a little bit in the uh, in, in the end uh, outcome. 
you know, as I've said, I'm not saying anything away from them winning it. It was it was an amazing achievement, but they, it wasn't like they dominated the game. I mean, they they kind of got away with it. And then I think in terms of uh, we should we should assume that they will win every home game uh, in the Klopp send off, um, and the, with the only question mark being the City game. Uh, and even that, they'll feel confident um, given what we know about those games. So I think uh, Liverpool's season uh, will live and die by those away games. Um, and as we know, there are no easy away games in the Premier League. Uh, no. I mean, we sort of, there sort of are when you actually get into the, to the statistics, but any game in itself is a potential uh, problem. Mm. Uh, on Arsenal, uh, we're obviously going to feel that Arsenal are very good given their recent results. I mean, since Christmas, they've been in very, very good form. But just those little glimmers of what could come over the next few weeks are also there when you see what happened at Porto. It could happen again, uh, again, away from home in particular. It could happen at home to Porto. If they did go out, what would that do to their season? It may improve it, it may not. They haven't really had key injuries. So like with ourselves, if Rodri w- w- was out, um, it would make a massive difference. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, I, I assume Saliba's barely missed a single minute of the season. Um, and same with Rice. And clearly those two players are absolutely critical between now and the end of the season. Um, but if you look at the fixtures, I would expect Arsenal to be uh, on top possibly by quite a few points over the next few weeks because their fixtures are harder towards the end. So I think from April, they need they need a bit of a buffer for those last five or six games. So just just, just one to watch on that. Um, but obviously, they're playing really well. I mean, you can't, can't, you can't deny that. Mm-hmm. I think for different reasons, I think it's going to be very difficult to separate City, Liverpool and Arsenal between now and the end of the season. I, I don't really feel as though um, uh, there isn't like a, a singular thing that you look at with each club and you go, all right, that's the difference. Um, because it, in a way, I would I would say that everybody's got one thing that they could point at and go, well, that's the thing that is going to win us the league. Um, but everybody's got one thing like that. And so for that reason, I, th- I think it makes it very difficult to make that call right now. I, I almost, you know... It's funny because I had a, there was a point, there was a part of me that felt as though, well, what we do in those two games against Liverpool and Arsenal will define, from our point of view, whether we can win the win the league or not. But even those, I, I almost feel as though we could draw both of those games and still end up winning the league. So it's it's just really difficult to call. It's it is it is that tight that I almost I. I I'd love to. I could make the argument that we'll win it for this reason or that reason, but I almost feel like it. it I'd just be doing it for the sake of it. I wouldn't necessarily believe for sure that we win it from here. I think we're all just going to have to hold our nerve and uh, see how it pans out. I think we're more likely to win the Champions League than we are the league. Just uh, you know, if you if you break it down um, in terms of who who is likely to stop us in two two-legged in two-legged games. I mean. You know, uh, and you know what? The other interesting aspect of the league is United play all three teams between now and the end of the season. They play Liverpool twice, of course, including the Cup. And United are at home for both the yep. Arsenal and the Liverpool games. Yep. 
So uh, you would think that United are not going to be rollovers in these games. I mean, there's, there's an interesting game on May the 11th. I don't know whether it's a game that might move for maybe a semi-final of the Cup. But on, on April, uh, sorry, on the weekend of the 11th of May, uh, we've got, um, I think it might be Wolves at home, uh, whereas Arsenal got United away and Liverpool got Villa away. And don't, unless I'm mistaken, isn't there a Merseyside derby that's going to end up getting rescheduled? Yeah, it already has. When is it? Well, they don't know, do they? There's only about two dates, I think. No, so this one, is it. So Yeah, one's uh, the, in the final week. It's yeah. the final week. That's the only available. That's going to yeah, be well. the only available Wednesday. Yeah, it's so, not in there yet. But uh, yeah, I've, I have heard that that is possible. Yeah, I think I it's to do... I don't think it's been booked in. No, I th I'll tell you why, because it's to do with the FA Cup. So effectively, if Liverpool go all the way in the FA Cup, then the only time that that game can be played is the last midweek of the uh of the season which would be which would be pretty pretty I mean, wild basically and, they never give them a game though i mean no they don't it's it? true it's, you're absolutely right i mean you, when was last time everton won a derby in it you can't be you, we can't be we can't be banking on on sean dice's everton to get a result somewhere for us to win the league that just feels dirty just even thinking about saying it one thing though stefan maybe i'll ask lloyd because you you said it so lloyd would you agree that it probably will be would be more likely that we win the champions league than the league yeah i i, I would i think that's interesting <clears throat> to two two reasons i think mm. two-legged factor that stefan mm. set out but i also think the competition in the champions league just isn't really there there's, there's not a team apart from madrid and maybe Arsenal that I look at and I go, that's going to be really difficult and I wouldn't back us over two legs. And I'd back us to beat both of them over two legs. Whereas in the league, there are still so many, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. We've not been in a three-horse race before at this point in the season. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's tricky. And, you know, we've kind of come out on the right side of basically every title race by a point or two points and you know there is going to come a time when maybe we don't and we miss out by a point or we you know we draw a game that we would have won a different season and we end up you know one or two short it's it, it, it is going to happen eventually so two things on that one uh so just that everton i just i've just done the 11 versus 11 check um on the website that shows you know all the times they played each other so since uh, twenty since the eighteenth of October, twenty ten. So just just the fourteen years, or thirteen and a half. Uh, they played each other something like twenty times. There has been one, and this is league and cup. One Everton win, which was February twenty twenty one two nil at Anfield. I think that was COVID. COVID season when Everton collapsed. Sorry, when Liverpool collapsed at home. Six on the bounce or something. Was that it? Yeah. Was it one of those? It sounds like it. When City went there and slapped them as well. Yeah. So so basically, they haven't won in 14 years, home or away, cup and league, aside from that, aside mm. from a game where there's been no fans in. So I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with both of you when it comes to the idea of what is more likely. I think that if you if I look through City's remaining fixtures uh 
away at Liverpool and away at Spurs are the only two games that I look at and go, all right, it's acceptable to drop points in those games. Every other fixture that City have got, City have got to win. And I expect them to win. The quality of opposition uh, in the Champions League will be better than all of those other games. And I think the thing for me with the Champions League is that a little bit, you can get kidded by, you know, so for example, you can go, well, Bayern Munich, eh, they're, not, they're not really that good though, are they? You can kid yourself like that. But at the same time, when, when, you, when you look at the Bayern Munich team on paper, it's a top team. And as much as last season we rolled Bayern and we rolled Madrid at home, there are worlds in which those teams can come to the Etihad and get a result. And so I just think the Champions League is way more complicated, even now from this position, than the Premier League will be. Ultimately, we're a point behind Liverpool. And for me, we've got more or less similar fixtures. So I, I would probably err on the side of, of the Prem being still more likely. Yeah. There's lots of teams that can take points off City between now and the end of the season. I don't agree that it's just Spurs and Liverpool. We could well, we've just done. We've just no, done. Arsenal. Eight, we've Arsenal. Just done Hello. Six, yeah, yeah, 16 to 18 games, right? And we've only drawn two of them and I there's know, what the 12 same. or 13 league played, games left we've not played that many left. tough teams in that run though, yeah, but, but you've got to win also, your home games if you want to win the league I'm sorry you can't be both ways you can't say that, that we can't drop points in these games but then Bayern Munich can come and beat us what do you mean? I mean but if you think that we're so good that our only two challenges are away at Spurs and away at Liverpool well then Bayern Munich are not a challenge Why? over two legs because Why? we'll because if you're if you're saying that we're so good that only two very, very tricky away games are where we could lose points, then that says to me, uh, you must believe that we'll beat Bayern Munich at home. And so the only way we go out of that game... With, with that respect, fine. I, I hear what you're saying. With respect, the Bayern squad and the Bayern players have got a pedigree and a know-how that the Arsenal players don't have right I now. I know, but they've got so, no manager. They've got no, 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 it's fine. Like, you, can, you, can make very, all very those, good. you can make all of those arguments. The point I'm making simply is that there is still a lot of teams in the Champions League with a lot of pedigree, yeah, and a lot of quality players. And the Prem just doesn't have that in terms of looking at the rest of our fixtures, particularly the away fixtures, because our home record is just incredible. Full okay, stop let me give you a counter on, on Champions League. Let me posit that actually, with the changes that have been made to VAR, with the quality of City, and with the ab abolition of the away goals, what's happened is that the, the likelihood over two legs of the best team winning has reduced to its lowest level ever. So if we are the best team, and we clearly are, as long as we've got certain key players fit, then much more than ever, we should win games over two legs. Yeah. I, ac I accept what you're saying fair. about Bayern Munich, although I don't buy it. I think that they are shot this season. Famous last words, but I think they're shot this season. <laughs> and I think the real risk has to be Real Madrid because they, they've got everything. You know, they're, they're, they're not far off our quality and... It's really hard to go to the Bernabeu and uh, they'll be up for it because of last season. And so I think I completely accept Real Madrid. Um, one thing that just on that three-way title race that's interesting is that, of course, the two teams don't play each other. 
because they're, they're past that. And so we don't have at any point that luxury of kind of they're playing each other. We can sit back. Any result is fine. Mm. We've, we've had that. So we've got all the pressure because we play both of them. Yeah. But you could also argue it's a blessing and a curse, though, isn't it? It can go both ways, that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I hear both your arguments on, on why you think that the Champions League would be more likely, but I think I'm a bit more scarred by, by the Champions League and its, its unpredictability. Um, that's not to say that the Prem, Prem can't be unpredictable. Uh, but yeah. Okay, right. Let's take a short break here. Here's a little snippet of Howard Hawking talking to David Bernstein uh, about his new autobiography and, and the Derby and a couple of other things. And it's just a snippet. The full interview will be out on the 9320 player next week. The United rivalry, Peter Swales was obsessed with overtaking United. You know, he said it a lot. I assume uh, you had a very different viewpoint about getting City back to the top. It wasn't about United in respect of them. It was just about City and making them best they could be, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I used to say at the beginning, uh, when I've seen a lot of United with a different galaxy from us, uh, yeah. that my, my aim was to try and make Manchester the Milan of English football, mm. where we had two great sides in the city. I, 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 I and no one else ever expected City to really push ahead of United. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that wasn't at the time realistic, and of course it's amazing what, what's happened. Um but I was no, I was definitely not obsessed with United. Uh, as you quite rightly say, my aim was to focus on City and do the very best we could for City. Yeah, and of course you're a City fan. So the last fifteen years, it must be joyous for you to see United knocked off their perch and City become the number one club in Manchester. It's it's been no, some ride, well, has it not? The number one club in the world. Forget about forget about Manchester. Uh, <laughs> number one club. You know, I mean, travel winners and world champions. You can't do more than that. Uh, you know, and, and to win the, the league, well, three times so far, in a row, or maybe this may be the fourth time in a row, which has never happened before. No. Um, and I think I'm right in saying if, if we did win the Champions League this year, that's and no English clubs won it two years in a row before either. So, you know, if we if we can have a great year this year, I, I think we can really say this is the probably the greatest English club has ever been. Um, mm-hmm. now if you said, you know, that was going to happen 20 years ago, um. I think it was sort of, you know, I was living in cloud cuckoo land, but there you go. There you go. It's, been, it's been an amazing journey. And it's the derby this weekend, of course. This may go out after it, I'm not sure. Has it sunk in yet? That for you as a fan at City, you're always going to big games like this as favourites. I've seen United fans panicking already. I panic anyway. I mean, if they were in the yeah, yeah, no, I think I, I hate the day. I hate the day. Has it sunk in just how good we are yeah, compared to that? Yeah, no, it has done. It has done. You know, I think we, I think we've got used to it now. You know, it's, you know, it's on, it's on quite a few years, and we've won a hell of a lot. Um, and we've, you know, in case of United, we beat them time after time. Uh, so I think it has done. I think when City go on the pitch now against anybody, they're the favourites. Mm. There's no question about. There's no question about that. If City get beaten now, it's, it's quite a shock. I remember the old days years ago when Liverpool. Never lost a home match. They went for, went for years without losing mm. a home game. And it was national news if they lost a home game. That's mm. been like City now. If we lose a match, it's big news because it doesn't happen too often. You enjoy Derby Day? Oh, yes. I love big matches and um, big Derby Days. So that's, that's what it's all about. That's what long it's about. So I'd say Derby Day, you know, when City playing this year, playing Liverpool and Arsenal 
Uh, yeah, they had a really big games that um, I, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. And the current setup of a club, of course, is astonishing. Yeah, you have been around the ground, seen the facilities, and behind the scenes, a million miles away from those plat lane training facilities. There, uh, it Indeed. just shows how far this the other club has come in that time. You know, absolutely. Yeah, one thing I must mention from the book. Uh, don't know if you want to talk about it. Well, it is United related. Is you mentioned Roy Keane and Al- Alfie Ireland? Is it true that your anger of that incident on the pitch in the derby that you won't watch him now? It, it is true. I, I, I certainly, I certainly do not want to watch him. Occasionally, if the City are playing, um, there's something really important on. I might, I might turn turn the sound down. <laughs> something I don't have to hear. <laughs> but I, I've, I've, I resented that uh, ever since, and it, it's not because it was just a bad tackle. Um, you know, there's been plenty of bad tattles and bad things in the history of football. But I can't remember another incident which was done in such cold blood yeah. and where, where the perpetrator, uh, almost mostly beforehand, as to what was going to happen and, and mm-hmm. afterwards, boasted about doing it afterwards. And in fact, it appeared in his book, um, you know, that he, there was no remorse, no regret, no apology. Um, and, uh, and he, of course, got very heavily fined by the Football Association. For and I, it's that that I found unacceptable. He did get a flight. He got a, a ban as well, didn't he, after the book? Go for an he still got off lightly. He still got very lightly. Well, I, think, I, think, I think very lightly. And, yeah. and, and he, you know, the, the, we took a lot of medical advice, and the medical advice was not as conclusive as we would like it to have been. Otherwise, I think we would, we would have taken action. Uh, of, but we, we were advised we couldn't do that. Because of ongoing, you already had other knee Exactly. Just need United to get their act together now. Well, we can be the alternative Milan, can't we? Uh, we're too yeah, well, 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 we'll see. It's not easy now. Yeah, when you've got big players like Arsenal and Chelsea and Spurs and and maybe Newcastle and Liverpool, of course, you know, all pushing hard, it it, it, it won't be easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm all, I'm all in favour of seeing more clubs moving into that top bracket. I'm, you know, in a way, I'm quite pleased Newcastle have got this substantial backing because they're also a great club with a great history. They've done very poorly for many, 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 many years. They've underperformed. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to see if they can push on and, and really challenge at the top. So it won't be easy for, for United, but United, just at the end of the day, they're a massive club. And um, if they get their act together, um, they, they, um, they'll probably do well in the long run. Mm. And you're obviously an old-school fan that wants Manchester to be that, that Milan. You don't see that you don't have that tribalism that wants well. It's a good thing for Manchester for you in a way. I think to have I, I, two I, big successful clubs. I think so. I, 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 I prefer to see City where they are ahead of you. Yes, of course. If City, if City are number one and United number two or three, that's fine with me. And we are back in the room. It's taken us a minute, but it is now time to talk about the derby. Um. Stefan, I'm going to start with you. I mean, obviously, it was announced Barada's going to uh, United as CEO. Now, I think putting aside the kind of the the feelings that we might have about somebody moving from City to United, um, I, externally, I view this as, or trying to look at it objectively, I view it as a really good appointment because I feel as though he will create the kind of uh, symbiotic structure 
that we've got at City. Um, and I actually, I'm, I'm also not like massively convinced that it's going to take 10 years or anything like that. I think we can sometimes overstate a little bit just how quickly the fortunes of a football team can turn on the pitch. So do you do you feel United under Barada with this Ratcliffe takeover are about to enter a new era that will be different from what has gone on under the Glazers and Ed Woodward? Uh, so I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think, look, if you put better people around the place, then you should get better outputs. Um, I don't pres- uh, um, uh, prescribe to the idea that United haven't had good people in the organization. I just don't, I don't, I don't know them, but uh, I don't see how it is possible that a club paying their salaries, having their pick of executives within the game, uh, could have had very, very poor people throughout the organization uh, outside of the playing side. On the playing side, obviously, there's been lots of mistakes, um, but not all of those mistakes have been obvious from the start. Lots of people would have said, for example, that Ten Hag was a good appointment. Lots of people would have said Mourinho was a good appointment. Lots of people would have said some of the signings have been good signings. You know, we tried to sign Pogba at the same time United did. For whatever reason, these players haven't worked out. So I don't think that it's just a simple case of, uh, you know, bringing in uh, Barada and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and everything clicks into place. I think there's a very good chance that they could have another 10 years of uh, awfulness. I think there's also a chance that there's a big fallout between, um, between Ratcliffe and uh, the Glazers. Um, I don't think anything's a foregone conclusion. I'm not saying that will happen, by the way. I'm just saying uh, it's not as easy as it looks to turn a tanker the size of United where the really key and important issues that they've got, we all know, are actually on the pitch and also require, at some point in the near future, a very, very large capital expenditure which if you look at the history of the game, in every scenario in which it's occurred, has impacted the team's ability to compete in the transfer market at the same time. And, and that applies to Arsenal, Spurs, Real Madrid, Barcelona, every, every single example where a team has built a stadium, Everton, where a team has built a stadium for upwards. I mean, in United's case, if they were to rebuild Old Trafford, you are looking at something like a £2 billion project on top of the fact they've already got a billion pound of debt. So the idea that that wouldn't have an impact in their ability to compete in the transfer market, I don't buy. Um, so that's another uh, one of these multi-layered issues that they've got. And more fundamentally, and right now, they have an issue with the, with the manager and they have an issue, a fundamental issue, with numerous players in the squad. So uh, no, I don't think it's changing anytime soon uh, with any certainty. It might change, but I don't think it's necessarily changing soon. Mm. Okay. Lloyd, do we think Tenard keeps his job this summer? Love that, Stefan. Thanks for that. Um, no. I think he's probably already a dead man walking. Yeah. I hope he keeps his job because <laughs> it probably means that United have taken something from Liverpool um, at least once and Arsenal at least once. Because mm. if they lose both of those games and lose against City, 
it's very hard to see that United are going to be able to get even fifth place. Boyd? I think he's probably already done. Okay. I think they've already probably decided they're going to move him on. Mm. I thought you said he was staying. Oh, sorry, did I misunderstand? Or did I just have a non sequitur there? No, no, I think he's, I think he's, I think they've probably already decided behind the scenes that he's not the manager for them. It's not, it's not normal that a new ownership comes in, kind of a new executive board is put in place and they keep the existing manager. Mm. Uh, adding to that, Ten Hag has been absolutely terrible this season. I think the football they've played has been rubbish. Defensively, they're all over the gaff. His signings have been really poor. Um, they don't have a style of play. I thought Kaga's analysis of him on Monday Night Football was spot on. Obviously hit a nerve with Ten Hag. He's even fighting back in press conferences directly at pundits. I mean, he's rattled. I think, he, I think he's already done. He was fighting back against Fulham's social media guy putting the video <laughs> on TikTok. I mean, yeah, if but... you wanted a sign that he's feeling the pressure, I mean, all of this is, again, terrible, you know, uh, tempting fate for, for the weekend. But mm. um, I think he's really feeling the pressure. I think they're playing really, really poorly. I mean, you know, even when they win these games, you, you just sit there, you just go, this is unbelievable. How are they still, you so often look at it and go, how is it still nil-nil? Or how haven't the opposition scored? Even a little bit like that against Forest uh, in 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 uh, early part of the second half, they were getting behind United. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I also think he will go, but, um, you know, if they can take points off uh, Liverpool and Arsenal, uh, we would be eternally grateful. Definitely. He can, if he can do that on his... Actually, I, I wouldn't mind him staying another year because he is that bad. But I, I do think... He, I, I think he, I think the call's already been made. I think a couple of things that, that that Ratcliffe fella said made me feel like, yeah, all right, he's toast. The first thing was when he was asked about time frames, yeah, about like, you know, ha, ha, like, are you going to need 10 years to turn this round? And he, he said quite bluntly nobody's going to wait 10 years for success and then he said we we expect in three years time to be to be challenging city and liverpool that's the way he said it and i just i feel as though that coupled with the style of play conversation where he said very explicitly the first thing that that the sporting department will have to decide is what man united's football identity identity is going to be and then we will you know, buy players and effectively hire a coach based on that identity. That tells me that right now, Man United don't have a footballing identity. And if you're a year and a half and 400, 500 million pound into your tenure and the team don't have an identity, I think that you are toast anyway. And then I think also, you know, if you, if you sort of say that Klopp has a, it's not really a, a sort of, coach coat he's much more you know on that sort of spectrum of much more on the emotion side rather than the technical side mm. um you can get away with it because the emotion especially in that liverpool environment has worked really well when you have someone like ten Hag, who is all about uh, who or, or should be he's not about personality is he so he should be all about the technical side of the game yeah. and the fantastic coaching and the little clever tweaks here and the little you know, fantastic team selection in this particular game versus this particular game. But he, but he just seems to have none of that. 
Mm. Well, look, I think I, I actually think that there's a uh, there's a wider conversation uh, to be had about the lessons that can be learned from from Ten Hag because I think that obviously there's going to be a little bit of a managerial merry-go-round this summer, and we will always have one eye on on sort of succession planning for Guardiola. And I think one of the things that you can take from Ten Hag is that number one, Ten Hag is a fella who came with the sort of pedigree that you would expect to have to get a big job in this day and age, which is that you've gone somewhere like Ajax, you've won the league consistently and you've won trophies there, you've done incredibly well in the Champions League, you've coached a collection of young players who seem to have improved under your watch, and you generally, it's perceived that you play good football and you are punching above your weight. But I think, and Lloyd, I'll throw this to you, I think that we've we've kind of entered a little bit of a different era in the sense that I think that there's now a handful of clubs, so City, United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Paris Saint-Germain. So those nine clubs, right, I think they exist outside of the norm of everywhere else because I think at those clubs, the pressure to succeed is much greater i think the politics are much greater. i think basically you you can have some coaches who might be a great training ground coach but he can't manage upwards and he can't deal with the ownership and he can't de- he can't have those relationships in a healthy i think tuchel's a great example of that tuchel's a fellow who generally the players for the first 18 months by munich aside everywhere else he's been the players first 18 months they like him he's a good coach doesn't really get too like he he knows how to get a team set a team up and get them to win, but he can't deal with with the executives at the clubs. Generally, eventually, he gets flitted, even though he does pretty well for that reason. And I think that Ten Hag is the best kind of cautionary tale for why there is no perfect fit for that group of clubs that I've just talked about. That the reality is that Guardiola and Klopp are by some distance the exception rather than the rule in terms of what comes next. I don't think that Javi Alonso, statistically, Javi Alonso and Ruben Amarim, who are the two hot kind of names for this summer, statistically, from a data point of view, they are doing exactly the same with their teams as Ten Hag did with his Ajax team. Top percentile, best XG, highest XG uh, in terms of uh, goals scored, lowest XG in terms of goals conceded, most possession, most amount of shot, all the all the kind of data that you would that you people will be looking at for Alonso and uh, Amarim. That same data applied for for Tenag, and I think that that sort of tells us that there's a certain kind of alchemy, I think, to the top, top jobs that that I've listed that goes way beyond stuff that you can just analyze by looking at looking at numbers. Yeah, I think that's I th- I think that's fair. Um obviously there's kind of there's no there's no given, is there, when someone um when someone moves to those to those big jobs. I- I'd say Ancelotti is probably also, you know, in the top bracket given his longevity and what what he's achieved across the game but 
Yeah, there's, there's there's no given, is there, that you go, particularly if you go from a Klopp or a Guardiola as well. I mean, you're 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 falling into the <laughs> wilderness essentially, aren't you? The step mm. down is 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 obviously inevitable. But I think the other thing that really, just to jump back to Ten Hag, that really stood out to me was first three games. He obviously tried to play his kind of Ajax Dutch football approach, play out from the back, tried to get De Gea to kick the ball. Um, kind of spread the centre halves. They lost the first three, and he shut the bed. Hmm. Um, and he, he's changed how they play. Now, if you look at United in games against any, pretty much any team, and I include Luton in that because it, Luton looked like the better possession team in that game. You know, they they play like a counter attacking team. They play like a bottom half team. That, that, you're just never going to keep your job for very long if you do that. that. I think that's one of the other bottom lines when it comes to Ten Hag. Yeah, do you know how things happened with with uh, we, we just talked about United a lot, but do you know how things happened? I I, th- I think at various points over the last few years, managers have wanted to have very big clearouts of the dross, or it's actually not even the dross. It's of the players that are kind of borderline good enough. In some ways, the borderline good enough players who have clogged up the squad, the players like Martial. Uh, like AWB, whatever he's called, uh, Basaka, um, Maguire, uh, uh, Lindelof. These sorts of players that are not elite players, but that are very expensive and take up squad places, but so can't be shifted easily. Then laid on top players like um, our friend from uh, Jaden Sancho has left this squad that, it's very hard for a new manager to come in and go, right, this is how we're going to play. And I'm going to coach you in that way because the players aren't really good enough because they've not cleared out the dross or the, the mediocrity that they need to clear out. And that's why if I was, if I'd gone into United now, the first thing that I would do is make every single player available. Not, not in a sort of grand statement, but if I had an offer for, doesn't matter who it is, uh, you know, right across the board, whether it's Fernandez, whether it's Rashford, Garnacci, whoever, take the money, get some of these players out the door, start to churn the squad in a very mm. aggressive manner. Because part of the way, reason that they've not been prepared to get rid of these players is because they can't afford to take losses on players. And that's because they've got nothing coming in to counterbalance it and give them the oxygen to go out into the market so they've got nothing on profit. So the first thing I would try and do is sell Rashford hmm. for you know, 70, 80 billion quid. Get, get him out. Pure profit completely changes the financial picture, first of all. Gets rid of a player who's been in that category, maybe just above that category, and starts to change the whole, you know, in the way that they're, they're already talking about doing this off the pit, where you come in and you go, you're all gone. I'm going to bring in a whole new executive. That's what they need to do on the pitch. And only then, when a new manager comes in, will he be able to start to build a team in his image. And actually, to an extent, a lot of that is what we allowed Pep to do. You know, Joe Hart being a really good example. Um, The fullback situation. You know, you have to, sometimes you've just got to take the pain of getting out mediocrity or players that don't fit with the manager. And being really, really quite brutal about it and actually taking a very big financial hit on it if you have to. 
I think that's what they will do. I, I think, you know, I, I, I feel a little bit as though Barada, Berailsford and, and whatever else, what, what, I think they might be a bit top heavy, top heavy in terms of the number of kind of people. You think? They, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, Ashworth, Brailsford, uh, there's going to be a sporting director in there as well. That's Ratcliffe. not going to be a, two yeah, Ineos Ratcliffe. directors. Yeah, Barada. exactly. Um, there's, there's, there's so many Jason of these people. Wilcox, if they hire him. Yeah, yeah well, so think, many of them. I think the, I think the word is that that Wilcox and Julian Ward are the two that they're trying to. One of those two will end up being the actual sporting director. Um, whereas I don't really know what the point in Dan Ashworth is going to be. Then, like another culture guy, I guess they're a bit concerned about the culture because there's going to be about eight fellas there trying to uh, to change the uh, the culture of the club. Anyway, we shall see. Look. There's obviously a football match to be to be talked about as well. Um, Lloyd, just looking at it from City's point of view, um, feel we go into it in in decent nick. Very, yeah. Our form couldn't be much better, could it? Really, most of the players are fit. Most of the key players are fit. I actually think Guardiol is a bit of a miss in this game. If you want to play Foden on the wing. Mm. which is what looks like it might happen. I think that would have been a good option to have. You know, you might not have started, but a good option to have. Obviously, Grealish would have been a good option to have in the game, but if we're just missing those two, we've got more than enough to not just beat, but completely run over United this weekend at home. Stefan, any any kind of, looking at it from United's point of view, I guess their biggest threats, we would say, would be the counter-attack, so Garnacho and Rashford. Anything else in there that worries you about them? Um, no. I mean, let's, this is, is, is a bit worrying because I'm probably the least uh, nervous for a derby, certainly of this importance, for mm. a very long time. Uh, I mean, it is only Friday, but even so, uh, I think they're really not very good. Uh, and obviously, they have a, quite a few injuries. And um, I also think that the very, very clear knowledge of the big risk that we have is a, is of a big benefit. I mean, and that's a terrible indictment on United and, and of their manager, actually, because he doesn't really have... He, we know that they are going to play like that. And that's that's a terrible uh, indictment of a top coach to to not have any other way of playing. Mm. Um, and um, I just I just you know it is not it is not possible uh, that they, for example, have a lot of possession in the game, are pinning us back, are getting behind us time and time again. From a position uh, that's not on 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 the counter, so I think we know the pattern of the game. We know what the risks are. Of course, we can lose the game uh, because those those players that you're talking about, I think, are are dangerous. Uh, despite not being in in brilliant form, I think they can score goals. Um, but I, yeah, I can't sh- I can't get away from that. We should win the game, and, and actually, we should win it comfortably. Okay. Did we see their back four against Forest? Because that's yep. what it's going to be at the weekend. So it's going yeah. to be because of all the injuries that they've got. It's going to be a back four of well, Anana in goal, which has got its own issues. Dallo, Varane, Lindelof, and then they played Amrabat at left back. I mean, I mean there's just a, we should have a field come on. day there. 
unless we have an early sending off or something like that, <laughs> there just isn't a scenario where we don't score at least a goal. I mean, there just isn't. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's I think actually the interesting thing is to look at it from City's point of view because I think there's a few decisions to be made. Um, I put them in the I put them in the notes because it gave you guys at least. 15 seconds to think about them before uh, before I throw them at you. But I want you both to answer all of them. So, Lloyd, I'll start with you. The right-back question, would you start with Walker or would you start with Akanji? I would play Akanji, but that won't happen. So, it'll be Walker. I thought we were going to be unanimous on these. Stefan, Walker or Akanji? No, definitely Walker. I mean, we've just talked about the only problem that, that United can cause us is, is breakaway pace. Okay, but Rashford's uh, probably going to play up front. So it doesn't it? Doesn't you've got to have Walker in that back four? You just have to. Okay, um, Lloyd Alvarez or a n other midfielder? I'm going to write if Alvarez starts this game. It's absolutely not a game he should play. Um, you need someone in midfield who's going to be secure on the ball. We don't need to give them transitions. It's the only thing they survive off. So. I don't think it's a coincidence that we've looked more fluid against Bournemouth and then Luton without him. So for me, I think yeah. we I'd like to see a more I'd like to see Kovacic play. I think he's been really good in the last few games. I think he was outstanding away at Spurs. I think his form's been gently improving. And I think he's made for games like this where, you know, he helps us kind of beat a press if they do come for you and he's just very good on the ball and a few extra passes is, I think, what we've missed throughout quite a lot of the season. So I'd like to see Kovacic play. Stefan? Uh, yeah, Kovacic to play. But I'm, I, as I was, I, so again, I, I don't think we're going to be unanimous, but as I was thinking about it, um, any a midfield of players faster than um, Casemiro, uh, and I don't mean in a sprint, I just mean in sort of mm. being able to react. Uh, I think could have some advantages because I think he is a red card danger in every single game. Mm. And the more busy players we can put around him uh, that he can foul, the better. So uh, I, that would be a kind of um, a side benefit if he ended up going with Alvarez rather than Kovacic uh, or mm. some other. Uh, but but uh, I think Kovacic should play and expect him to play. Okay. So then... I guess that based on those answers, you both expect Foden to start on the left wing. Yes, I think that's where, given where we're at, he will play. I don't see Pep going for Foden and De Bruyne together centrally yet. And I thought Alvarez, KDB centrally just didn't work against Chelsea. I appreciate the wingers were different, but I think it'll be Bernardo on the right and Phil on the left. Okay. So... I think that, as controversial as it may be, I think he might do Rodri, KDB, Foden, but Bernardo and one of Doku or Nunes. Um, I know that Kovacic has been good and been busy, but I think Pep's got a little, got to be a little bit cognizant of just how bad United are right now. And when a team is that bad and you know they're going to sit that deep, I, I, can, I can see an argument that you put all your, 
your biggest weapons out there. And I think, you know, in a in a in an ideal world, Doku running at either Dallo or Amrabat is is just hell for United. I think similarly, having Kev and Foden in central number eight type zones is just something that they simply do not have. I mean, you only need to look at Jamie Carragher's, um, the analysis that he did of the Fulham game to go, there's going to be big wide open spaces for Manchester City footballers to play football in. And so for me, I would like to see, I think he will not err on the side of caution. I think that Guardiola will err on the side of, you know what? I just need to get as many attacking players as I can get in here because I think that we can have this game out of sight by half time, pretty much like we did last year. If he does that, though, I think it's more likely he plays Alvarez in midfield than Foden and De Bruyne. Are you just managing your own expectations there? No, it's just not. It's not something that Pep has done, has he? Those two together in midfield. Yeah, he's and he's he's on record of saying. It's not something that he can do in that many games. Now, you clearly think it, this is a game where he might do it. Mm. Um, and I don't see the... the I, I guess I don't see the... I guess I don't... The point I'm making is I don't really see uh, what... How you... I, I don't really see why Alvarez would be more likely than Foden in, on any planet, on any day, in any given situation. I think if you're talking about one position and two players and that position is a central midfield-ish type position i just don't see a world in which the decision is i know i'll play julian alvarez in there over phil Foden. well the record of this season would show they started 25 out of 26 games so no for sure and i think you know i actually i'm i'm surprised that neither of you had him starting because i think it would be quite strange to go from starting every game to not starting three on the bounce for alvarez I think there's probably just about enough of a case that the 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 season so far tells us that if Guardiola can shoehorn Horn Alvarez in, then he probably will do. But I just I you know I, I think it's time for me to be brutally honest. I think United are shy, and I think that more or less any combination of the eleven that Pep picks should be wiping the absolute floor with them. I, I think that. Yeah, I just find it very difficult to 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 conceive of a situation which results in City not winning very comfortably on Sunday. Does that put the fear of God in either of you? No, I just I just like to see us. I agree with that, but just just set up with your best team. It always gives you the best chance. Yeah, but I just don't know what the best team is. I I don't I don't think that you know like so. Me and you have a have a fundamental disagreement. In that for this game, for me, there is no question that your best team is your best attacking team. And with the players who are fit and available, for me, the best attacking team is Rodri Foden, KDB, uh, Bernardo, and then pick one of the other three, whether it be Doku, it be Oscar Bob, or it be Mateus Nunes, or even Julian Alvarez. I don't really care, but I think that that's your be- more or less your best 11. Are those lads plus the that one position that you uh that you pick one in um and i disagree with 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 both of you on the walker akanji thing 
I think it's a Kanji over Walker all day long. I think it's a Kanji Stones, Diaz, and and, and Ake as the as the back four. Um, I did say a Kanji to be fair. Did you? Yeah. I just I don't think I, I don't think that you. I, I I think that you go with the idea that the lads who keep the ball best play because no if way. we keep the ball, they've not got a chance. So you'll see. You'll see. Well, no, I mean he's it. It's a little bit the Walker and the Alvarez things. I think they're a little bit uh, that we can be guided by what's gone on this week. I, I expect both of them to to end up starting. Yeah, but remember um, uh, Real and some of those games. You know, we talked about the importance of of Walker's pace uh, in those. You know, against certain types of player, and United have some of those players. United are fucking shy. I'm sorry. They are shit. I totally, totally, fucking I'm to- totally with you. I- I'm totally with no you. And I think, I I think the number of injuries you. that they've got means that this shouldn't be one of those situations where a, a United team comes up, comes out, and actually, as they have done in some games over the last few years, actually has a good game against one of the better teams. Mm. I think the injuries really should put pay to any chance that they can come out against us and you know, and perform very, very well over 90 minutes. Completely with you. But I do think that they have, we, we have one exposure and they have one strong point and that is pace on the break. And so. But I think Walker's I been really be bad in those not, situations this that. season. I, I hear what you're saying, but I just think that, I don't think that Kyle's pace has been particularly a massive asset because I think that the other side of his game positionally in possession has been particularly poor this season decision making it's all been particularly poor this season and i just i think that you're more likely to find yourself in a situation where a daft walker sideways pass hands the ball to rashford to run at the goal than you find yourself in a situation where a kanji's exposed or stones and diaz are exposed because they blammed a ball over the top and nobody can catch Garnacho. I think of the two situations, I think the former is more likely to happen with Walker starting than the latter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, so I think that is a, a good observation that you can't argue with, including the actual use of Walker's pace in some of those chases back that we've had this season, mm. where he's either not put the burners on or if he has, he's done it in this really weird way where he's waited almost for quite some time before putting the burners on. So completely with you on all of that. Uh, uh, but I do still come back to it being extremely likely that he'll play. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, and, I, and I do kind of see that. I, I, I feel as though Walker, Walker, Walker and Alvarez, I think, are two who, because just because of the volume of games that they've played so far this season, it's hard to see how the home derby Guardiola goes. No, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to sit you two down. Um, but then the flip side of that is if there is a conversation around, well, between now and the end of the season, I need my, I need my best team. Then maybe we begin to see that on Sunday. I do, I, I do think that as much as we like to think that there's a best team and that there's a moment at which Pep goes, right, that's the 11. I do still believe that he he does think game by game. It's just a question of whether 
the 11 from the previous game have operated at such a high level that he goes, I don't need to change that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in what, in what the selection will be on Sunday. Uh, Lloyd, anything you want to add before I wrap this up, this, this epically long podcast up? Just, just that I'd like, I'd like Kovacic to play because for the reasons that you set out about keeping the ball, having a strong base. And I think, you know, for me, I wouldn't play Walker, but I, I don't mind too much if he does. But I think if you've got Kovacic alongside Rodri, you've then got Foden, KDB, and Bernardo ahead of him with with uh, Holland up front. That just that feels super super secure to me. I think your chances of not winning the game are very very low. Yeah, no, I think that's I, I I think that's I can see all the arguments, and I can also see an argument for why you play Cover because he's not played enough football this season, and you want him. For example, those Champions League away games where we certainly are going to want to be a little bit more solid. You want Cover to feel as though he's in some kind of form and rhythm in those games, and so getting as much sort of football into his legs without injuring without re-injuring him yeah as much football as we can get into his legs uh i think we should do right stefan give me a prediction a score prediction uh three one very safe lloyd four one oof oof all right i, lo- oh. I love how times have changed the yeah safe <laughs> a safe prediction is three one <laughs> <laughs> so true it's very true uh okay so i am going to boldly did you yeah i'm gonna boldly go for a clean sheet and a three zero um okay right that was it this was the friday show with me with stefan with lloyd with howard hawking with david bernstein sir david is it a sir david bernstein did i did i just completely make that up stefan please help me out here i think it is actually Okay, Sir David Bernstein, must apologise for that. And of course, all of you listeners, thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next Friday with another Friday show. The full interview with David Bernstein will be available on the 9320 player next week. If you're not a member, head over to our website and check it out. Five pounds a month, you get tons and tons of podcast content every week. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.